0: Thank you for tuning in to our podcast recorded live each week. Now sit back and enjoy the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoor Show.
1: Tighten your life vest, strap into your tree stand, and get ready for the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoors, your source for outdoor information, education, and entertainment. Now, here are your hosts, Tony Sanders and Rob Pratula.
0: Can I speak now? Can I?
2: I would say yes, please. Go ahead,
0: sir. I'm back in the studio. This is kind of cool. You're
2: back in the saddle.
0: Good morning, Robert.
2: Good morning, Tony. How are you?
0: I'm good. Good morning, Gino. Uh, It's nice to be back back in in the the studio. I took a week off, and I actually took a week off. I listened to about 30 seconds of the show to make sure it was on the air, and then I turned it back off. I see how you are. And sat on the the deck overlooking the mighty Atlantic Ocean, which I'm actually not a big fan of, but I did. And uh, it was, you know, I'm I'm a fan of it when I'm sitting there looking at it.
2: Well, um, actually, Gene was gone, too, so I had Max in here helping me. So I want to thank Max for pushing the buttons Mm -hmm. and uh, thank Travis Boyd for coming in. I will say we were probably the best armed radio station that morning, (laughs) uh, Max being a former sheriff and uh, Travis being a three-gun shooter. Yeah. And you. And me. And uh, we I, I, I don't know if you heard, there was a story uh, out of Washington State, I think it was. Or no, it was New York or Washington, I can't remember. A bear climbed into a Subaru Outback. Uh-huh. Officer came up with a shotgun and took his uh, ass baton, broke the window, and then ran like heck. Bear comes, you know, out the window, and that's the only way they could. Totally messed up the Subaru Outback, and they said, you know for some reason this car was popular with the with this Baron. so we all went out together to the parking lot to make sure that nothing happened
0: that, uh, that your Subaru is still fine still bear free <laughs> yeah so hey we are happy to have in the house good friend judge tom Greenholtz. how you doing
3: I am. I'm doing very well. Thank you all for having me on here. It's been uh, it's been a little while since I've had the privilege of joining you all.
0: It um, was, I guess, in your election. Or, no, it was after it was the after primary. That. After yes, the sir. primary, because yes, you did sir. not have a primary opponent, correct? Or uh, did you?
3: We did. Oh, uh, uh, did you? Okay. We did. Uh, I'm not not a primary. I'm sorry, a general. Did not have a general election the, opponent. Had uh, two very fine gentlemen, uh, actually, in, in the primary. Us. Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember I waited
0: till after the primaries. So, I didn 't get into the equal time thing, sure, and since you didn 't have a general opponent, I didn't have to worry about giving general uh, or giving time to another. Well, we had another uh, candidate.
3: It was a great show last time, Tony, and thank you very much for having me back today uh, it's always a privilege to appear.
0: I've looked forward to this. Um, we, we probably solidified this, what, two months ago, maybe? Yeah, we've
3: been talking about it for a long time. So
0: yeah. I was, I was, I'm, I've been having fun with it, thinking about it, thinking about stumping the judge, you know, what oh, I can do. Just
3: don't play that game today.
0: Uh, yes. and, and, and just for my listeners, uh, we will still talk hunting and fishing. Rob will give you your fishing updates if you call and ask. But if not, we're going to spend a little bit of time this kind of diverting from normal, talking uh, some legal stuff. And uh, it's always nice to kind of talk, uh, uh constitution and and laws and stuff and it's always interesting to have a judge in here that that interprets these laws to, to kind of give a spin on it uh i may it may preclude you from ever you know being um vetted for the supreme <laughs> court because you know you never want to tell how you would rule on anything but i don't think there's any danger <laughs> of that so i <laughs> hey, i've i've got to i got to ask a question this sure. is, this is on a personal note I've enjoyed watching you and your family's vacations. Yes, they always seem to be historical in nature. Are they you
3: are. a history buff? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, much to the uh, much to the sadness of my children, sometimes. <laughs> uh, no, that's what we actually do. Uh, we like to get out on the weekends uh, and do something of a historical nature. It's important. Uh, you know, it's important to know where you've come from. It's important to know where your history is um, in a time where you have uh, maybe divisive politics. Uh, sometimes it seems that the culture is divided. A couple of things unite us. Uh, one thing is our faith, our common faith will, uh, will unite us. Another thing is the law. The law will, uh, can be a source of, of unity. Uh, but our shared background and, and our history as a nation is also one of those things that can uh, unite us as a people. And if we don't know what our history is, if we don't know um, what those commonalities are, uh, yeah, you know, they they fail in that essential purpose of of unity, and so uh, with our family, that's what uh, we we do a lot. I'll tell you candidly, sometimes my <clears throat> my kids sometimes uh, may not fully appreciate the overarching picture, but my hope is is that they will one day. But I tell you what, we always have fun; it's a great time.
0: I th- it's I find it interesting history. Uh, one of, one of my biggest regrets, and I, and I say this and and I mean it wholeheartedly is I did not get interested in history till very late in life. Sure, sure. And and now I'm devouring it because it... I I've, I remember the old adage, you know, if you don't pay attention to history, you're doomed to Do- repeat, repeat it. All right. That, all that. I get that. But I just never... And, and living right here in the the Civil War mm-hmm. center, I mean, there's so much happened so much in here, this area. Right. I've z- had zero interest in the Civil War. Zero. I mean, there was... Yeah, I know they fought it right over here. I get it. And that's it. That's the extent of it. But as I've gotten older and I've started and, and I like to read. And what I years ago I started this this plan of reading a fiction and a nonfiction. Right. Uh and and so I'll read a fiction, then I'll read a nonfiction. And so I've started working in some, some history. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Roosevelt now. Sure. Right. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, right. And so I've been studying a lot on on, on him and reading several books by him and written about him um but it's just there's so much history and, and i think i saw you and your kids at um in virginia at one of the battlefields uh, oh yes uh, gettysburg sure i guess yeah uh and then i saw i saw something else where you guys had been to dc that would be kind of cool to go to uh to dc with somebody that understands history i think that'd be kind of cool. Oh, that would be cool and i, I remember Reading the Constitution the last time I was up there. Right. Uh, and I had done it before. I'd been, I'd been to the, the National Archives. I'd been there. But I actually read it. And, and, and Rob's heard me say on the air, Hey, I've read the Second Amendment, which is actually the fourth one that's written. Right. That's right. You know, just so people know, Hey, I did, did read that. Read it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it, it is, it's pretty cool now as I've gotten older to really get into that and thinking about how I can, you know, impart some of this. Into my grandson and things like that. Oh,
3: absolutely. We've uh we've kind of turned this summer uh of us into the summer of Lincoln almost by accident. Um, we're big fans of going to presidential grave sites, and one that we had not been to um, until this summer was Lincoln's up in Springfield. Um, so we've been we've gone there. We went to his house in Springfield. We've been to his birthplace um, in Kentucky and his boyhood farm. Uh, this summer we're going to go up to uh, to DC, uh, go to Ford's Theater and some other places. Uh, it's, you know, despite the political views, sometimes with Lincoln, it's important to learn from great leaders. And whatever else we would say about Lincoln in some other contexts, uh, the man was a leader, and it's uh, it's good to know about.
0: Well, he was a, a a very famous attorney. That's right, and I don't think most people mm-hmm. realize that. Yeah,
3: represented the railroads even. So, right yeah. there,
0: and there was there was. He had right before he was elected. He had one big case that garnered sure. national attention, right? Uh, and and a lot of people think that that's what set him up for the presidency, right? Uh, but and, and it was funny. I was we were watching something the other night, and and my wife had read something about uh, the actually the case, and sadly, I don't remember what it was now, but she was talking about how you know he had been litigating that case right before he started the run, sure. Sure. and that and was kind of what set it up. So it was pretty yeah. interesting.
2: To I always think it's interesting, you know, talking about the history aspect. Uh, this stuff fascinates me, but it's the little things in history that you, this is the stuff you don't learn in the textbook. Yes, right. Uh, I didn't know there's somebody buried inside the Tennessee State Capitol. The, the architect, the
3: architect, William Strickland. That's right. I
2: never knew that. Yes. Nobody, you know, like, you know, I didn't have Tennessee history, but you know, it was like there's somebody buried. In sure. the capital, right. it's like okay, that's unique and weird. I like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: they, di- they didn't teach you about Tennessee history and Massachusetts.
2: No, they did not. Just checking. No, they did not.
0: We but, learned about the Pilgrims. S- speaking of traveling, I yes. don't know if you've ever watched uh, or looked at the website Roadside America. Uh, it is a it's it's a website that you put in your your route. Like right. You're, sure. Say so right. you're going here. And it gives you all the weird stuff oh, that's along go. the roadway, okay. roadside America. It's really kind of cool. Bookmark I love now. it. Uh, like there's a there's a there's a church in New Hampshire that's got a beer bottle built into the sure. steeple sure. because the guy that gave them the money to build the church was the beer distributor, and he wanted everybody to know who gave them the money for the church. <laughs> and it literally in the steeple has a, a beer. and so it's got all these things you can. Go sure. by and see and, you know, including the big ball of twine. And I know you guys like to do road trips. That might be something that you would yeah, really enjoy. Well,
3: uh, we've got it bookmarked right now. Yeah. It's, yeah.
0: it is, it is a lot of fun and, uh, just uh, the, the oddities and you can, you can put, I'm going on, you know, from Chattanooga to, you know, somewhere in Illinois on I, whatever. And, but it gives you all the little interesting things that there are to see. So.
2: My parents did the same thing. They, they brought me to a lot of historical places sure. when I was a kid, and, and I got to see a lot of stuff. At, at the time, I'll be honest, I really didn't appreciate it, but now, being older, I do. I remember Mom dragged me to this church in Massachusetts one time, and she said, this is a very historic church. I'm like, okay, whatever.
3: The Old North Church? No, it was no?
2: – well, I've seen the Old yeah, North Church, sure. but it was the first Baptist church. Not, I mean, as in the first, first. Baptist church right. in the United States sure ever. And uh, saw the first, one of the first uh, synagogues up there and the old North Church. Uh, you know, did the con went over and saw the Constitution, saw Plymouth Rock, which is not that impressive, I'll be honest. It's it's about yay big. I'm not joking. It's about the size of an l- extra large dinner plate. That's it.
0: But you went there, I went there, but it's funny. A, a friend of mine was in Boston this weekend, and uh, we were exchanging Texas, and the only thing he talked about was seeing Paul Revere's grave. Sure. Right. So it's yeah. Like, again, yeah, it's once you once that history bug gets you.
3: Well, you and I will have to go out and enjoy the uh, the outdoors down at uh, Chickamauga. That's been one of my uh, haunts for almost my entire life. I think um, we've uh, started several years ago trying to work on a book to tell the story of the battle through the eyes of the National Park Service, meaning taking the text from the monuments and markers that are out there. Uh, it's 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 fascinating to see the story. Told through the uh, the eyes of the participants, because sometimes, and this will shock you, uh, the story trying to be told for posterity may be a little different than the story has actually happened, perhaps. And so, it's a lot of fun to see uh, where those uh, narratives diverge. But it's a uh, it's a great place you now have to get out there sometimes. Sure,
0: uh, I know this is a TV show, but I remember the Battle of Mayberry on Andy Griffith. Sure, for, <laughs> for Ropey dis- debunked all the myths about the battle. That's right. so. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that happening. All right. All right, Gina. Let's go pay a bill, and when we come back, we'll get into what Tom's really here for to talk a little bit about the the Constitution and how it all works together. Tony Sanders outdoors is
1: right back. The old man ran the bait shop in Eudora, Mississippi. He had his whole life story mounted right there on.
2: Batey's Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee, are the experts when it comes to lush green lawn. If you're a homeowner, Batey's has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed specifically for this area and provide you with the knowledge to have the lawn that will be the envy of all your neighbors. Don't go buy a bag of something that may or may not work from a big box store. Batey's has years of local knowledge and knows what will work in this area. Trust the local experts in fertilizer to assist you with your lawn. Make your neighbors really jealous. Call Batey's. If you're a lawn care company owner or are on a landscaping group, Beatty's can formulate special blends for your customers by the palette. Your customers will be happy with the great results, and so will you. Call Beatty's for more information on bulk fertilizer for your lawn care company. Minimum quantities required. So whether you're a homeowner, lawn care company, or just like digging around in the yard, go with the pros at Beatty's Fertilizer, 472-5491, 472-5491, and check them out at batesfertilizer.com.
0: If you need any outdoor supplies, there's only one place to go, Sportsman's Warehouse. They have all the equipment you need as well as a friendly, knowledgeable staff to assist you. If you want a firearm, then check out the thousands of guns they have on the shelf. If you don't see one you want, go to sportsmanswarehouse.com, choose from over 6,700 models they have, and they will ship it directly to the store. Everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Sportsman's Warehouse, the great indoors for those who love the great outdoors. I weigh 153 and Lee 423-280-3677. Are you a member of the National Rifle Association? If not, why? No other organization in this country fights for your rights like the NRA. In the current environment, our rights under the Second Amendment are being attacked every day. While we in the South may feel comfortable, that is not the case all across America. The NRA is taking up the fight for you, and you need to be a part. Join the over 5 million men, women, and children who are members of the NRA. Go to TonySandersOutdoors.com and click on the Join NRA link. Don't wait too late.
3: Here come the ducks, hit the high baller. Shut up the dogs, stare at the water.
0: Welcome back. Tony Sanders Outdoors.
3: I'll say we'll hold on your way. We're
0: definitely putting the education in the
3: tagline today, right?
2: I would say so. Definitely educational.
3: Yeah, I think you're building this up a little too much. Nah. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure Tom.
0: All right. Let's uh let's just dive right into this. I'm on, I'm gonna start out kind of political. Uh we have Kennedy retiring. Yes. Uh he's what, eighty was he eighty one years old? Is that right? I believe. Um been on the bench. Reagan appointed him, been there a while. Right. I think he was a lot more centrist or unpredictable, whatever kind of words you want to say, than uh, when he was originally put on. Uh, but I do think in the latter part of his career, he kind of moved uh, a little more to the conservative side. What are you expecting on? Uh, and, and how is how with with the replacement? And you've seen the list. Everybody's seen the list who who he's considering. And I don't think he's going to pull somebody that's not on that list personally i, I don't that, think i
3: don't i don't think they that he, that he will either i don't think
0: there's a reason it. to i think there are a lot of qualified people on that so how how do you how and and they keep talking in the news this is going to change the courts for decades that and that's that's the word everybody uses decades 20 30 years um what do you see happening in this whole process just from a from a from a legal perspective as a sure as a sure
3: i you know kennedy's legacy is going to be um, is interesting already it will continue to be interesting Uh, for political conservatives like all of us uh, we see some of the decisions that uh, we would not have approved as a matter of policy Uh, probably the most striking one would be the uh, casey versus planned parenthood decision the abortion decision in nineteen ninety two Kennedy, though, has a, and as you noted, particularly here more recently, um, has been a conservative force on the court. Uh, Keep in mind that uh, with the Obamacare decision, uh, he was with the five conservative justices and striking that down the individual mandate on the grounds of the Commerce Clause, though the Chief Justice, of course, upheld it on taxing grounds. Um, He's been a a force in other areas. I think when when you look at the list that uh, the President Uh, has said that he'll nominate from the list uh, helped uh, developed by the Federalist Society and others. If you have a political and maybe even a judicial conservative, it does have the ability to transform how the court goes about doing it. So uh, even before the position that I'm in now, I fancied myself as a judicial conservative. And that's a little different from a political conservative, which I am also, but the uh, as a judicial conservative, my fundamental belief is that courts must stay in their lane, that uh, uh, courts are uh, not there to make policy. They're there to enforce the law and to enforce policy. They're not there to create new rights. They're there to protect existing rights. What that does is it has the uh, – it places the burden and accountability back onto the political branches of government uh, for the development of policy, the development of law, the recognition of rights, of new rights. And it keeps the uh, other branches in their lane as well. And that's important because when the branches start to get out of their lanes and start to exercise powers that don't properly belong to them, we the people then have trouble holding accountable um, our government when it gets out of line. If every branch of government is attempting to... Um, Uh, exercise the powers that don't belong to it, how do you hold it it accountable? Uh, So we'll see. I think a lot of the the judges on uh, the president's list are judges that that I would be excited to see on the Supreme Court Uh, from a judicial conservative perspective uh, would like to see the court stay in its lane. Every time the court gets out of its lane and we're talking about uh, decisions based more on public policy perhaps than on proper interpretation of law the uh, judiciary becomes further politicized and when the judiciary is politicized uh, that spells trouble for a lot for uh, frankly for all of us for the system and so uh, I think you're right I think uh, uh, we will have the uh, we have the opportunity to have a fundamental change in that regard on the court uh, uh, with uh, with Kennedy's successor but at least here in the past uh, couple of years, and there are some some notable exceptions, but uh, uh, Kennedy has been um, has been a force for uh, judicial conservatism in a lot of ways, and uh, so I don't know that. Um, I think it's well. It'll be an exciting future.
0: Now, when uh, Gorsuch was appointed, everybody referred to him as a constitutionalist. Yes, sir. And I would kind of expected all the judges on the Supreme Court to be constitutionalists, but I guess that's a naive approach or look at it.
3: I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's naive at all. I, I think when you when you look at at, uh, at Gorsuch, um, and let's say that you were to take uh, another justice who uh, might be of a of a different constitutional stripe. When I think constitutionalist, I think someone who begins constitutional analysis with the question of. What do the words say? What do the words mean? Uh, Did the words have a common understanding, generally accepted understanding at the time that the Constitution was ratified? So if I'm looking at the constitutional text, I'm looking first to see, uh, you know, do the words on the paper, did they have a commonly accepted meaning in 1789, uh, for example, or with the Bill of Rights in 1791? Other people may say, uh, for example, well, the words are so general that they were intended to evolve with time and that the words themselves have no fixed meaning. I think when, um and so such that we can interpret the Constitution in light of its experience, in light of the issues that we have today. I think when we're talking about Gorsuch as a constitutionalist, we're talking about someone who, in the beginning of the analysis, takes a look to see... What you know? What does the language say? Does the language have meaning? Um, you know, each side of that constitutional debate has its merits. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. I, I have wondered often, as I reflect on these issues, about if language has no meaning inherently, why do we bother to write it down? For example, the English Constitution is unwritten. Um, it's based largely upon uh, practices and history, as you go. That's one way to do it. We took a fundamentally different approach in this country, and that is, is that we wrote down what the principles are. Um, if language has no inherent meaning to it and it constantly evolves, why bother to write it down in the first instance? And so I, I, I think that's where, um, if you, I, perhaps everyone would characterize themselves as a constitutionalist in some degree, uh, there are different flavors. And so I think with uh, with Gorsuch, I think the president was intending to communicate that this is someone who uh, will look first to see if there was a, a fixed meaning. And if there wasn't, and sometimes there's not that we're able to tell today, two centuries later, sometimes there's not. Only then do we go to look to, um, you know, other commonly accepted ways to interpret language.
0: I think the Second Amendment has probably been the most dissected
3: amendment that there is from right. it's It's uh it's up there. I mean, in terms it of is. its history, yeah. The establishment clause, which is the clause that prohibits an establishment uh, of religion. Uh we talk about right. history a lot in terms of that, but the Second Amendment certainly.
0: Um, it's pretty straightforward, but we can all interpret uh and probably the I think one of the biggest hang ups is is well regulated militia, is that in in the, they try to say that means a organized militia. Sure. Uh, which, how hard would it be to organize a militia if, if that's really what we wanted to do? I mean, we, we could have the Tony Sanders Outdoors Militia <laughs> and start it right now. Sure. And, okay. I'm in. All right. So we got two. So, I mean, you see what I'm saying? So, I mean, we could start one. And uh, and there is already a, um, you know, you've got the Tennessee, what is it? National Guard. Tennessee National, National Guard, Guard, which right. is not the National Guard, but it's a Tennessee-based sure. Guard. And and a lot of people say, well, that's a and it's a very militarized right. organization. Uh, and then you, of course, you have the the militias that you hear about out in the fringes of the the outer world that uh, that that end up doing things that scare us sometimes. So you, you there's you know so it's defining militias is tough already. Right. Uh, and so uh, and and then the last sentence or the last part of the phrase, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's pretty
3: straightforward. Well, what's interesting with the Second Amendment is that it is unlike um, any other text in the Constitution because the right itself contains its own preamble. And so the debate prior to 2008 was what effect do you give to the preamble? So um, when the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, on the one hand, that could mean something if the language is, is interpreted by itself, on the other hand, when you have a preamble into it that says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, should that be given interpretive effect onto the actual right? And then, of course, uh, that had been the long-standing debate. Does it protect a right to keep and bear arms only in the context of a militia, or does it actually uh, uh, protect an individual's right to keep and bear arms? Um there's historical evidence, perhaps, on, on both sides of that. The more persuasive view, I think, is that it's an individual right, and that's the view that the Supreme Court adopted in the Heller case in 2008, uh, recognizing very specifically the Second Amendment does protect an individual's right to keep and bear arms. Uh, but the, the Second Amendment uh, is unique because it does contain uh, a, a, a preamble to it that the other amendments do not. Um yeah, Heller's an interesting decision in a lot of ways, yeah, Rob.
2: The both sides are claiming Heller as a win. Sure. Anti uh anti-gun and pro-gun are, are they both claiming it as a win? Right. I I've I've read the I've read the decision and I'm very confused. I I don't see how it's a win for the non-gun people, but I saw it as a win for I, I that may be bias on my part, but No, no,
3: I <laughs> To, to see it, uh, it is kind of a win for both sides in some sense. Uh, if you take Heller on its face by itself, uh, let's take it as we're leading up to it to see what the arguments were uh, that manifested in the decision. real concern for um, the individual rights um, advocates was that if the court interpreted the Second Amendment as being a collective right, a militia right, for example, then the Congress that has the power to raise and organize militias uh, could abolish the right to keep and bear arms simply by abolishing the militia gotcha and so as that issue is coming up to the court there's a real concern if the court adopts a collective view of the Second Amendment, then the right to keep and bear arms relating only to a militia could be abolished simply by abolishing the militia when the court held that it is an individual right huge win for uh those of us that would believe that it is an individual right however what the court gave with one hand it took away with the other in some sense in that the court also recognized that the right to keep and bear arms is not absolute in fact none of the rights in the constitution are absolute is not absolute and is subject to reasonable regulation and so what the um, proponents of more gun control took from heller is is that well, the supreme court has recognized then that we can have reasonable regulation um, on it and What we've seen in the lower courts since Heller is that uh, Heller has really recognized the right to keep and bear arms as part of a right of self-defense, personal self-defense. And so that when gun activities perhaps start to fall outside of that core notion of self-defense, then courts are leaning toward more restrictions. Um, And so, I mean, Heller itself recognizes that you can have those, quote, reasonable restrictions, and so I think the um, uh, pro-gun control uh, lobbies see that as a win because one of the outcomes of Heller could have been it's an individual right, it's absolute, there cannot be uh, anything but compelling restrictions. The court didn't go that far. And so in some sense you do have kind of a win for both sides. We have a win for uh, those of us that believe that it was an individual right and always intended to be. Uh, on the other side, uh the court is recognizing that you can have reasonable restrictions um on uh, gun ownership and gun use. And I think they see that as a win themselves.
0: And and one of the issues that we are having right now, and, and we'll get into this after the break, is um you've got you got people that want zero restrictions. Right. And then you got people that want abolishment.
3: Yeah. Every restriction. And
0: and, and they're <laughs> There's a conflict there, and there's always going to be a conflict. Sure. And, and I've said on here, and, and maybe you'll tell me I'm wrong, but the chances of a constitutional amendment to have, to change this in this day and time because of the process involved in it is is nil to none. I think it would be virtually impossible to do uh, either to get two-thirds of the states to sign on to it Or to ratify it, whichever
3: way they go. It it would be almost impossible. I mean, an amendment has to come out of Congress with two-thirds of each house. When was the last time we saw anything controversial mustering two-thirds in each house? (laughs) It Uh, barely
0: gets 50%. Yeah,
3: I think that's right. And then, of course, it has to be ratified by three-quarters of the states. Uh, Yeah. So you see a lot of your constitutional amendments, for example, uh, are uncontroversial issues or uh, the amendments are born out of a crisis. Uh so either they're born out of uh for example the Civil War where you get radical changes to the Constitution. I mean, in good ways, but you get radical changes to the Constitution. Uh the Progressive Movement in the early nineteen hundreds manifest in changes to the Constitution, the abolition of the seventeenth amendment, the ratification of the sixteenth amendment dealing with income taxes, for example. A lot of the other amendments, uh take uh you know, uh one of the last ones, the twenty sixth amendment, extending the right to vote to eighteen year olds, uncontroversial. Right, You know, something like that can pass. I, you're absolutely right. Something as controversial as uh, the topics that the Second Amendment addresses, I, it's hard to see anything passing in this time.
0: When we come back, we'll uh, we'll get a little bit into the, uh, I was right, the 14th and the 10th Amendments. and You were correct. I was incorrect in my interpretation, but I was right in the numbers. We'll be right back.
2: Beatty's Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee, are the experts when it comes to lush green lawns. If you're a homeowner, Beatty's has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed for this area and provide you with knowledge to have a lawn that is the envy of all your neighbors. If you're a lawn care company owner, Beatty's can formulate special blends for your customers by the pallet. Go to the pros at Beatty's Fertilizer, 472-5491, 472-5491, and check them out at batesfertilizer.com. Fertilizer.com.
0: Sportsman's Warehouse is a perfect place to shop for all your outdoor equipment. No matter the season, Sportsman's Warehouse friendly staff and knowledgeable experts can assist you in finding what you need for your adventure. If you're a hunter, angler, boater, hiker, camper, or need clothing or shoes, Sportsman's Warehouse has just what you need. If you're looking for a firearm, Sportsman's Warehouse has over a 1,000 guns in the store. Now, if you don't see one you want, you can go to sportsmanswarehouse.com and select from over 6,700 guns offered online. Then you can have it shipped directly to the store, Everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Don't forget to sign up and register for the Sportsman's Warehouse loyalty card. This will give you points towards gift cards and special promotions, as well as keeping you informed of upcoming events. Be sure to like them on Facebook for prizes, promotions, as well as things happening at the store. The place to shop for all your outdoor needs, Sportsman's Warehouse. The great indoors for those who love the great outdoors, Highway 153 and Lee Highway. You know, if we could do a, do a show without commercials, it, it would it would allow us to get more in depth, right? I would agree, but we have gotta pay the bills too. So. Yeah,
2: like gotta gotta do what you gotta do.
0: All right, something uh, that's something that I find interesting, and and I told you this, and 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 I'm assuming that you thought this was kind of humorous too. The same people that are basically arguing for states' rights, right? Uh, are the same people that are calling for, for national reciprocity. And it was just interesting, Tom. Last night, there was a story on national reciprocity. Um, and and I find it kind of contradictory that I can say, you, federal government, stay out of my life. But, oh, yeah, you pass a law that tells the states like Illinois, New York, New Jersey, and, and, and there's not many anymore, but... The states that say I can't carry my firearm, you can't. You can't tell me that because national says you can. Kind of dumb that down for me. Sure, uh, it's <laughs> take the Constitution. Sure. to two of the really let's, complicated yeah, areas yeah. there, and, and and make it simple.
3: Well, I object it, well, <laughs> sustained. Thank you. Um, let's start at a thirty thousand foot level. So, at the time of the adoption uh, of the Constitution in seventeen eighty nine the chief concern in creating the new government was how do you limit government responsibly so the uh... so our founders had had this in mind what is the great evil in your mind gentlemen what's the great evil in having government by democracy or by republic have you have a thought about what the great evil there is what would be the greatest danger to it
0: what's well, a good question uh... probably the, the
3: in a system where you have majority rule, what would be the greatest danger? Mob rule. Absolutely. Yeah, the majority okay. could be wrong. That's exactly right. So the, uh, Madison in particular recognized that the greatest danger to democracy, where you have majority rule principles, is the danger of a stable, tyrannical majority ruled by the mob. So they attempted to solve that problem in the context of majority rule by doing a couple of things. One, by separating power between three branches of government, legislative, judicial, and, uh, and executive. And then separating power not only there in the federal level, but also separating it between the federal government and the state governments. And so you have separation of powers not only on the national level itself, but also between the national and state governments. The very first sentence of the text of the Constitution in Article One says that all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in the Congress of the United States. The language is important because what it is suggesting is that the national legislative power is limited. And so as you look through Article 1, Section 8, you will see an enumeration of some 18 powers that the Congress has, legislative power. Tenth Amendment comes along uh, later as part of the Bill of Rights in 1791, um, and it further clarifies what is meant there. And that the uh, Tenth Amendment says essentially that all powers not uh, delegated, not granted uh, to the national government are reserved to the states or to the people respectively. Once again, the idea that if a power has not been granted to the federal government, then that power does not exist in the federal government, and so therefore it can be exercised either by the people collectively in some way uh, or by the states. Uh, the Tenth Amendment has been, uh, has been held by the Supreme Court to be nothing more than a truism, meaning that, of course, it is always true that what is not granted is reserved. Uh, more recently during the uh Rehnquist uh term on the Supreme Court, more flavor was given to the Tenth Amendment, and so you have notions that um, the national government uh could not, for example, commandeer states to enforce national policy, meaning that it's one thing for the federal government acting within its proper sphere uh, to uh, to pass a national policy, but the national government is responsible for enforcing its own national policy. And that's
0: the argument we're hearing right now with the um, sanctuary, sanctuary cities. cities.
3: Yes. Okay. In fact, that's exactly right. The context in which the commandeering principle, anti-commandeering principle, came about was actually with respect to the Brady laws and with uh, with uh, uh, permitting processes. So the national government acting within its sphere, so it believes created a uh, registry system uh, for firearms. And then instead of uh, dedicating resources and federal personnel to the maintenance of that registry requirement, required states to do it, required states to spend their money to do it, dedicate their personnel to do it. And the Supreme Court found, um, and probably rightfully so, I think, that uh, the national government uh, cannot commandeer a state to, to enforce national policy. Uh, you see that now in the Sanctuary Cities debate. Uh, it's absolutely true that if a state or a uh, local government wants to enforce federal law, it absolutely can do so, no question about it, uh, dedicating its own resources to do that. Uh, the anti-commandeering principle would suggest that the federal government could not compel the local governments to do it. And so, interestingly enough... Um, Tenth Amendment issues uh, are always at play um, in our politics and in our constitutional um, um, ideology. Sometimes it depends, if you were to take a cynical view of it, sometimes it depends who's in power and who's out. Right. Uh, so when, yeah, let's call it like you see it, sometimes now with, uh, with non-conservatives who traditionally have not been fans of limited federal powers the federal governments to use the phrase again staying within its lane uh all of a sudden now are recognizing that that constitutional value has significance has meaning uh because when government is properly limited the federal government um then maybe policy can be uh made on a local level uh with uh, you know people who may be more responsive and more responsible to uh to those of us um you know more locally. you're definitely closer. Absolutely. To the people. Absolutely. And, and that, was that was the original intention, I believe, uh, one of them, original intention of the, uh, of the, of the founders in drafting the Constitution, is that you have very defined sets of powers given to the national government. And where the national government uh, isn't vested with those powers, then those matters of policy uh, should be handled locally. And if we mess up, if we say, you know, the Congress uh, should have been given a power to do X, Y, and Z, it wasn't, it's essential in the national interest, there is a way to amend the Constitution. And as we've talked about, that's tough. It's difficult. As it should be. As it should be. There's no reason you couldn't amend the amending provision if you thought it was too difficult. Uh, You could amend the requirements to do it. Uh, The uh, reciprocity issue is interesting because you do get back into the – uh, ideas about who should control this? Should the states control their own issues, or should you have a, a federal government that uh, that decides it for for all of us? But uh, and
0: that's kind of where I want to go. And for those listening, it'll probably be after the uh, top of the hour break, just from a timing standpoint. But I want to take what we just talked about sure. then and, and define or or use that in the context of uh, reciprocity or not or sure. or whatever. So yes. I'm having fun. I don't know. I am too. You know, I, this is one. I, first time I did Jim Place's show, he looked at me and said, Look, this ain't your show. I don't care if I get in callers or not. This is a show. I don't care if I get in callers or not. This is awesome stuff. We'll be right back. Tony Sanders outdoors. Four two three two eight zero three six seven seven.
2: Spring will soon be here, and you know what that means grilling and barbecues. You can get everything you need at Don's Meat Shop, 648 8 Hicks and Pipe. Don has steaks such as T-Bone, porterhouse, Ribeyes, and many, many more. You can pick up kebabs, chicken, burgers, pork chops, roasts or fish, and try out their seafood. Be sure to try their summer sausage snack sticks. Don has quality meats and great cooking advice, so give them a call at 423-842-1256. Don's is open six days a week, closed Tuesdays. Check
1: them out at donsmeatshop.com and be sure to like them on Facebook. Chronic wasting disease affects white-tailed. Deer, mule deer elk and moose populations in many states we are cwd free in tennessee and are counting on hunters to keep it that way remember if you hunt out of state for big game animals it's very important that you learn the proper way to bring those harvested animals home new restrictions are in place for good reason learn more at tnwildlife.org please help us keep tennessee cwd free
0: Welcome back. Tony Centers Outdoors. Sportsman's really been around twelve years. Twelve years. Wow. They give so much back to the community. You know, we got a banquet coming up on the twenty first. Friends of NRA banquets coming up. That's the next banquet in the in the succession of banquets. And I'm uh, really excited about that. And of course Sportsman's as always steps up and helps out. Uh you know I, I get tickled and this is a business, folks. I make uh, uh I make money or to lose money depending on advertising. Yes, I advertise for sportsman's, but I'll be honest with you. I shop at sportsman's. Uh, and sadly to my wife's chagrin is I spend more money at sportsman's than they spend on the show <laughs> as we discovered the other day when I saw my points balance <laughs> on my rewards card. Uh, but I'm, I, it, you know what? It is what it is. And, and they have what I want. And they have prices uh, better than most people out there. I'm just telling you. You can go check yourself. I remember when a couple of the big box stores opened, I took 10 items in and priced them in the stores, and I went to Sportsman's. And in 9 of the 10 cases, Sportsman's was less expensive. Now, they may not have all the advertising. They may not have whatever. But I'm telling you, you do it yourself. I did it. And I'm talking, I looked at everything. I looked at guns, I looked at ammo, I looked at clothing, shoes, fishing equipment. So check it out. 12 years in our city, and we could not do what we do in this area for conservation without Sportsman's Warehouse. Pure and simple. It's the way it is. All right. we got just about a minute. Um, Man, I'm enjoying this.
2: I am, too. Do you now? Do you have to be a law student to take this class, or absolutely not? No, that's crazy. Okay, because I I might have to audit a class. I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, yeah, an engineer who has taken one law class that'd be great.
0: You know, it's it's funny when I took the CPA exam. There's four parts, and and I really honestly thought I would always be a lawyer. Sure, and there are four parts, and and one of the jokes is as you always say, I'm in the 300 club, which means you. Made 75 on each of those. Sure. So, uh, so I, I, I was, I was moving along 75, 75, 75, and I get to law and I made a 93. Good for you. Uh, and I've you. always, I've always worked with lawyers in my profession, uh, doing things with, uh, what? No, yeah, you actually, and I have worked together. That's how we yeah. actually first met. Right. You had hired me to do some work on one of your cases. And so that was, gosh, 10, 12 years ago.
3: Maybe even been longer than that. Maybe. So,
0: but, uh, yeah, I'll I'll always have a great respect for, for lawyers and judges. So, right, we'll be back. Top of the hour. Hear what's going on in the news and then we'll come back and get into some reciprocity. Don't stop that podcast now. That's only one half of the show. Tony Sanders Outdoors, your outdoor advertising solution. 423-280-3677.
2: Beatty's Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee are the experts when it comes to lush green lawns. If you're a homeowner, Beatty's has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed for this area and provide you with knowledge to have a lawn that is the envy of all your neighbors. If you're a lawn care company owner, Beatty's can formulate special blends for your customers by the pallet. Go to the pros at Beatty's Fertilizer, 472-5491. 472-5491 and check them out at babiesfertilizer.com.
1: Tighten your life vests, wrap into your tree stand, and get ready for the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoors. Your source for outdoor information, education, and entertainment. Now, here are your hosts, Tony Sanders and Rob Pratula.
0: Back Welcome
1: back. Again. Tony Sanders Outdoors. You
0: know, I'm, I'm real bad about not ever. Rem- I, I announced the guest at the beginning of the show, and then I never say it again. So in the house is criminal court judge Tom Greenholtz And uh, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you're not, then uh, tune in. You, you get 51 shows a year. Just tune in next week. Because I'm enjoying the hell of it. I just am,
3: period. Uh, And I hope you are too, Tony. Oh, you're all very kind, absolutely. Uh, When we teach, uh, as you all know, I've taught uh, constitutional law classes at UTC for the better part of almost two decades now, um, on and off. And as I'll tell my students, but I hope the same does not apply to your listeners that if they're having fun, uh, it's almost irrelevant because I'm having a lot of fun. So we are here today. I just hope that we're not driving down your ratings. Oh,
0: no, I'm not worried about it. Not today. <laughs> I, this, I, I find it fascinating. Now, we are going to kind of shift. We, we've talked a lot, I think, which uh, actually applies to the the audience, the listening audience. Uh, but we're going to kind of shift a little bit uh, and, and focus it in a little bit more. Sure. One, I want to talk, we, we started in the, the last hour before the, the fifty break, uh, talking about states' rights versus um, federal rights. Right. I want to I want to expand on that a little bit and talk, or or narrow that and talk specifically about um, reciprocity and gun carry and things like that. Sure. You know, it's it's it is a problem. Uh, I go to and I travel. And one of the things I do is I go to the NRA ILA website and I look at what the laws are and who has reciprocity and who doesn't and what that reciprocity is. Because right. it's one thing to have reciprocity, but it's another thing you – the basically, and this is a basically, if I go to any state that has reciprocity, they recognize my permit, but I have to follow their laws. Right. Uh, sure. and, and we get into the whole – you know. The other day, I, I I was in South Carolina and I went into a restaurant. I don't have any idea if I violated the law or not, but I had my gun with me. There was no sign, but I'm and I'm sitting there and right. I'm like, oh wait a minute, that's Tennessee has a sign law. I don't know what South Carolina has.
2: That happened to me too. I went up into Virginia on a fishing trip and yeah. I went to the ILA website real quick and looked it up. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm good.
0: Yeah. So I think that is. I think there is a lot of confusion when you start crossing lines, and it was it was interesting having been to India. Sure. Uh, and going through the process to to get there, and and actually talk having a conversation with somebody that had been in Europe recently, it is kind of cool the fact that I can drive through all forty eight or all fifty states. Well, I can't quite drive to Hawaii, but I can drive through all these states, and uh, without having to stop and show papers that's and right. all that. That's, that's, right. that's pretty neat. Right. I have to admit, uh, but. Reciprocity is is something that seems to be gaining ground. They just had a story on it last night on, right. on on something I was watching. So we had a situation where there were somebody was trying to limit ammo or something like that, and then all the states ran out and, and passed this law that says, no matter what the federal government says, if the and I think it was ammunition is manufactured in our state, then the federal law does not apply. And so that, I thought that was kind of an obviously an, an unusual approach. So let's talk about that in general, just if we can. Sure. Uh, all of this concept of reciprocity and, and uh, what I can and cannot do. Because I know when I go to South Dakota hunting, uh, I feel like I, I think I'm in violation of the law by carrying my handgun, but I bury it in the back of my vehicle so they're never going to find it anyway. Right. I mean, they'd have to have a reason to search, which I've learned a long time ago is no. so so you know it gets a little
3: cumbersome well it does the uh the whole the whole way our system is set up is is candidly designed to be cumbersome uh so when you're splitting powers between branches of government when you're splitting powers between the levels of government federal and state uh you open up the door to each state having its own regulations and uh, continuing with its own conception of what proper public policy uh, should be, as expressed um, you know, by the individuals living in the state, sometimes it demands, circumstances demand, that you have a national uniform policy. Uh, typically, we tend to think of that in areas of uh, of commercial law. Um, interestingly enough, the most widely um, used commercial law, the Uniform Commercial Code, perhaps, is not a national law. It's a uh, law that every state, I think, except maybe except Louisiana, and maybe they've adopted part of it now, uh, has adopted, but they've done it individually through states so that you have essentially a national uniform policy, but it didn't come from the Congress. It came from the states acting collectively. Um, Other areas, um, just to think of one um, on commercial law, bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Bankruptcy is a national uh, national power. It's specifically given to the Congress in Article I, Section 8, because it's important to have national bankruptcy laws. Uh, Bankruptcy laws will vary um, from state to state on exemptions because the Congress said we'll defer to states on that. Uh, Here with uh, transportation of goods between states, uh, firearms between states, in some sense, you're exactly right. Um, It makes a lot of sense to have a national policy uh, to recognize and to help facilitate interstate uh, transportation of, um, of firearms on the other side of that though is the interest of individuals um coming together to uh, to, to participate in the state government about what we want to have happen in our own state borders so we as Tennesseans uh, may believe that uh certain things should be allowed or not allowed that those in you know picker state idaho um would disagree with and you know it we should have the right to say, I think, in, in those situations where federal law does not otherwise uh, govern, what the public policy of our state should be. Now, uh, as you all know, at least with respect to the transportation of firearms, um, you know, back in, when was it, mid-'80s Sometimes, uh, sometime, there was a federal law passed, which was the uh, Fire Owners, uh, Firearm, uh, Owners Protection Act, which attempted to do just that, which was to say that if you're, the firearm that you were transporting is legal in the state that you're in, is legal in the state that you're ultimately going to, if you're passing through a state where that firearm is illegal, the law, federal law will allow you to do it as long as certain requirements are met. And typically that you know would be keeping you know, the firearm in the trunk of your car, uh, unloaded ammunition stored separately and whatnot. Uh, You and I have talked about how uh, some states, and in particular, uh, it seems New Jersey and New York, uh, tend not to recognize uh, the impact of of that federal law, Uh, meaning that they will, uh, a lot of times law enforcement authorities in those states, will make an arrest. Uh, And it's kind of interesting, uh, Rob and I were talking uh, off the break about when a federal law uh, could supersede, override, or preempt a state law, and that's actually a very complicated question. Ultimately, it's one of, of what the Congress would intend if it's acting within the scope of its proper powers. And in the case, at least, of the um, um, Fire, uh, Firearms Owners Protection Act, Congress did not clearly intend to keep the states from enacting their own laws with respect to what weapons the states wish to uh, not have within their borders. And so that, that federal law transforms itself really then into a defense to criminal prosecution, such that, um, and uniformly I think the courts now hold this, that if you are arrested for violating the state's law, uh, meaning that you have a firearm that is illegal in that state other, but it's uh, lawful elsewhere, if you're prosecuted, then you can raise the federal law as an absolute defense. But it doesn't stop you from being arrested in the first instance. You can think of it almost kind of like, and we may get into this later, uh, You know, the defense of self-defense we will say that... Uh, an unfortunate circumstances uh, arises and and I'm forced to actually kill someone in the defense of either myself or someone else um, I'm still subject to prosecution I'm still subject to arrest uh still subject to trial by jury. I have a defense that if i um, uh, if it's shown from the evidence will exonerate me ultimately but I'm still subject to prosecution and so I think that's uh uh kind of an interesting deal Congress has attempted to have some type of national policy with respect to the transport of firearms across state lines. It is not intended, though, to oc- what we say, uh, quote-unquote, to occupy the field, meaning this will be the regulation and there are no other regulations from the state. It hasn't gone that far.
0: You know, it's, it's funny. There was a story last night about a, a young girl that was 15 years old that defended her house in McMahon County, I believe, right. uh, from someone trying to break in. Sure. But the last thing she stated in the interview on TV was the guy was leaving and she shot her shotgun at him mm. and, and hit the car. Sure. And the, I looked at my wife and I said, she committed a crime. She was not in fear for her life at this point. Now it may not be prosecuted, but in, in the, the way I interpret the strict self-defense at this point, she's no longer in fear at that point. She's outside her home. She had loaded a gun, went around her house, confronted the guy on the porch, he got in his car and was leaving and um, and to me well I, I, you, you you might have raised your eyebrow when I say she committed a crime but no, I, 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 well at that point I'm not sure that she has she is legal in her discharge of the firearm
3: well I mean it, and we may actually get into to the topics of self-defense here in a minute, but uh, the self-defense Defense in Tennessee would require for you before you use deadly force is that you have a reasonable belief uh, that there is a imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury. Okay. And so, if uh, sitting here right now, circumstances were such that I had a reasonable belief, based upon the facts and circumstances, that there was an imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury, I would be privileged to use deadly force to defend.
0: Be careful, Rob.
3: Yeah, that's yep. right. There All you right. go. Sit next right. to me. All right. <laughs> if the person is leaving, whatever the reason for uh, the person being there, but the person is leaving, it could be argued that the imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury now has subsided, and so I think you're right there there's a there's uh a, certainly a very good argument that once the the perpetrator has left is fleeing is going, the imminent nature of the of the threat is now gone, and such that uh the person using deadly force in that uh instance. May no longer have the privilege to use deadly force. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's, that'll be a. But you're right. You know, that's not to say that the, that the it'll be prosecuted. Right. I mean, sense, yeah. Uh, the sheriff
0: actually seemed to have no intent of of pressing charges sure. against this young lady who right. was defending her home at that point. Uh, course it's not the sheriff that makes that decision it's the the district attorney Uh, and and chances are they won't I mean this guy was obviously had ill intent and was trying to get in their house Um, but it but as soon as she said that I mean I just cringed because and and part of that's because I'm a little bit older school and I think about the way the laws used to be in Tennessee where you had to if you had a way out the back you had to take it before you use deadly force I mean there was a it was a very gray area, yeah, right? You uh, need to retreat, sure. But I just, I just, I, as, as this person's driving down the, the parking lot, and I'm, I'm unloading my shotgun on. I'm like, I think you're, I think you got a problem. And, uh, and, and, like you said, you're not free from arrest, not free from prosecution. You may have a defense to it, right? But that doesn't mean you don't go broke trying. Yeah, right. So we'll be right back. Tony Sanders outdoors. Early Sportsman's Warehouse is a perfect place to shop for all your outdoor equipment. No matter the season, Sportsman's Warehouse friendly staff and knowledgeable experts can assist you in finding what you need for your adventure. If you're a hunter, angler, boater, hiker, camper, or need clothing or shoes, Sportsman's Warehouse has just what you need. If you're looking for a firearm, Sportsman's Warehouse has over a 1,000 guns in the store. Now, if you don't see one you want, you can go to sportsmanswarehouse.com and select from over 6,700 guns offered online. Then you can have it shipped directly to the store, Everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Don't forget to sign up and register for the Sportsman's Warehouse loyalty card. This will give you points towards gift cards and special promotions, as well as keeping you informed of upcoming events. Be sure to like them on Facebook for prizes, promotions, as well as things happening at the store. The place to shop for all your outdoor needs, Sportsman's Warehouse, the great indoors for those who love the great outdoors, Highway 153 and
1: Lee Highway. A great way to start off the new year is with a subscription to Tennessee Wildlife Magazine. I'm Don King for your Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, inviting you to subscribe and learn more about the abundant wildlife in our state. It's chock full of interesting articles and beautiful photography. Whether you like to hunt, fish, or watch critters, visit tnwildlife.org and subscribe today.
0: One more note about SodaOnCompass.com. I actually had a conversation with a guy yesterday. He goes, look, i got a couple of guns. Where do you, where would you suggest? You know, everybody kind of goes to gun broker, okay? I've been watching Compass now for a couple of months. Yeah, they're an advertiser, so I've always said, guys, if I'm talking about them, I use them. I, again, spend money at SodaOnCompass.com, too. Um, but the thing of it is, the prices they're getting on their handguns are really good. Uh, I'm actually considering selling some firearms there. Hmm. Um, so check it out. I'm, I'm telling you, there's a lot of stuff out there, and they have a lot of good stuff. Let me
2: ask the main question. If you sell some firearms, is this to buy new firearms?
0: You know, I implemented a long time ago this zero-sum thing. If I buy one, i got to sell one. How's that working out for it you? It sucks. Okay, just checking. I bought a new safe instead. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. All right. So we were we were kind of going down the reciprocity. Path, Um, and I'll 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 kind of tee it up and let you kind of run with it. Sure, sure. Since since we didn't go there, Um, it again it is confusing. And and you were talking about the uh, uh, Congress's intent was not to I guess restrict the states, uh, but to allow that as a defense. Right. Do you see reciprocity? I, again, I, I find it interesting that the same people that want national reciprocity are the ones that say, leave me alone. And I don't think you can have it both ways. Uh, or maybe you can. I don't know. It, law is interesting. Uh, do you see anything happening with reciprocity in a national level like that?
3: Hmm. Fascinating. I don't. I don't. I think for some of the reasons that uh, you and I were discussing uh, earlier in terms of the national political environment, um, uh, circumstances existing as they are now, it's very hard to muster, I think, the majority to get it through in both houses of Congress, Uh, candidly. I think you would have a a president who would sign legislation that came out of the Congress, but I think uh, in terms of its policy, it would be be a tough fight, I think. Uh, Really, ultimately, You're right. Uh, Questions of states' rights, questions of uh, division of power between federal and state governments. Tenth Amendment has been uh, probably fairly accused of having fair-weather friends. Okay. And such that uh, sometimes I may believe that uh, a policy should be a local policy when it's a policy that I favor and that the federal government should stay out. Other times, if it's a policy I favor and I... uh, wish to see it enacted everywhere. Maybe um, I don't have as great a belief in uh, state regulation. I think ultimately that that whole question, though, is resolved uh, in the Constitution itself, and that is that if the policy falls within the proper subjects of authority of federal power, it should be um, a national policy um, or at least a discussion on that level and where it is not it should be left to uh, to the states themselves. You know, as we were talking about with uh, the enactment of the uh, Uniform Commercial Code, uh, states all the time enact what we call uniform laws. Uh, we have them um, in a whole lot of areas. We have them in wills in the states, for example. Uh, we have them in commerce. We have We have uniform laws touching on a whole lot of different topics. Even regulating the courts, for example. So if I had to uh, if my court had need to get a witness from out of state, uh, my jurisdiction doesn't extend beyond Tennessee's borders. But if I had a need to do that, there's a uniform law that allows other states to help Tennessee in that regard, and we would help others. Um, but once again, that is states making states are making their own policy, their own policy decisions. So with reciprocity, um, it would be pretty easy. I think, to, uh, to suggest that uh, the reciprocity of doctrine could fall into regulation of commerce, uh, or certainly items traveling in commerce, such that uh, Congress would have the constitutional power under Article I, Section 8 to enact a broad national policy uh, to do that. There may be some challenge to it, but I think that uh, that likely would fall within congressional power. I think this is very difficult to see, how something like that uh, gets through the Congress, at least at this point in time. But, um, you yeah, know, kind of throw it back at you. In terms of maybe the politics of it or the likelihood of a legislative solution on the federal level, um, what do you see in terms of its likelihood? Not to put the host of the show on the spot. No, that's
0: all right. Uh, and, and I think I think you're right uh, from the standpoint of, of getting consensus across the board because you have – Several states, what, a dozen states that are just as adamant anti-gun sure. as they can be, they're not ever going to accept it. Um, and so, I, I, no, politically I don't see that happening. Um, it, now, it may pass straight down party line votes. But now, going back to what we talked about in the first hour, sure, can the federal government require states to accept that?
3: only if okay. it is within a proper subject of federal uh, federal authority. As yeah. we're talking about it, I think that it probably would, uh, because what you're talking about is regulating items that are traveling in interstate commerce, okay. the weapons themselves are items that are traveling in interstate commerce. Uh, interstate commerce doesn't have to necessarily be items that are being purchased or sold. Uh, it could be items that have effects on... Um, uh, commerce occurring purely within uh, one particular state, federal authority likely would extend to having a broad national policy on that. Um,
0: in in a, in a simpleton way of looking at it, the fact that it is a uh, U.S. constitutional issue, yes, sir. in the Second Amendment, would that not pretty much grant federal authority over that issue?
3: Um, it wouldn't, because if you think the uh, Necessarily. Uh, Think of the Second Amendment as a limitation on federal power. Okay. Uh, Not a grant of of power to the federal government. True. So the Second Amendment is recognizing an individual's right to keep and bear arms, and that right is being recognized as against regulations or laws that seek to infringe on that right. So if um, in the old days, when I say the old days, in the 1790s, it used to be thought that if – you know, if Congress had no authority to legislate in the area, why would you ever need um, a specific right uh, guaranteeing of a a freedom to you? So, if, for example, if, if Congress had no authority to uh, – was, was given no authority to to infringe upon free speech, why would you ever need a protection for free speech, right? We well, we know that sometimes, though, that uh, the legislative branch may step outside of its role, and that's why we have specifically enumerated rights to make sure that uh, – use of the phrase the third time, we keep uh, the legislative power in its lane. Uh, so the presence of the Second Amendment wouldn't necessarily imply a federal legislative power. The commerce power uh, that Congress has given specifically probably would allow it. Having the power, though, is not the same as having a corresponding obligation to exercise the power, meaning that just because I have the authority to do something doesn't mean that I'm obligated to do it. Um and in those roles uh, states have a role to play in regulation of interstate commerce and so where the Congress doesn't act states have room to act and until then Congress says something to the contrary
0: would we not get into possibly dissecting the Heller decision where uh, they could say well you have a right to bring it in here but you can't you know can't carry it you can't yeah. ask to stay in your vehicle sure I mean I mean we we'll kind of get into that dissection.
3: well you, you right? do and, and the court since Heller uh, McDonald reinforced this. The uh, Supreme Court decision in uh, uh, McDonald, afterwards, you know, concealed carry regulations uh, are still permissible under Heller. Uh, assault weapons exclusions are still permissible under Heller. Even though Heller is recognizing an individual's right to uh, to keep and bear arms, and that that right shall not be infringed, once again, the courts have still recognized that the right is subject to reasonable regulation, and so some states uh, will regulate concealed carry differently than others.
0: You know, I find it interesting when you when you we've talked about free speech and we've talked about it's it appears to be that the Second Amendment is the only one that you really have to defend all the time. I I find that interesting. Maybe it's not.
3: It's not. I'll tell you, uh, we we defend, excuse me, we apply in my court every day. Um, The court that I have the very real privilege of, of sitting in is a court where the rubber meets the road in terms of our constitutional rights. We apply, we deal with issues of liberty and freedom every day. Uh, It is controversial to say, among some, uh, for example, that a person who is accused of committing a crime should receive a lawyer that you and I pay for. Mm -hmm. It is controversial sometimes uh, to suggest that someone who uh, is illegally possessing, let's say, methamphetamine, Uh, should escape trial and verdict by a jury simply because the police uh, were guilty of overreach and violated the Fourth Amendment. People would say, we're just, uh," I've heard people say, uh, well, you know, you're just given a a free pass to the criminal. The Fourth Amendment protects values, for example, um, that are much greater than the person who's possessing methamphetamine. It generally keeps us secure, as the amendment says, in our persons, houses, papers, and effects from unreasonable searches. Those amendments are controversial, too, in their individual application. Okay. I will say, in terms of their politics, we don't talk much about the Fourth Amendment. Right. We don't talk much about the Sixth Amendment. We talk a lot about the Second Amendment. Right. Uh, the religion clauses in the First Amendment are uh, are subject of a lot of political debate. Uh, but, no, I think uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with your statement at all that the Second Amendment certainly has more than its fair share of of, of attention, certainly.
0: It, it feels like we have to defend it sure. a lot. Right. Uh, but I do find it interesting, and this is a – you don't have to come in. I'll, I'll let you off the hook. Sure, thank you. I, <laughs> I do find it very interesting that uh, the last two uh, shootings have not involved AR-15s. Therefore, the loud left, they don't know what to do. I mean, everybody talks about AR 15s as evil, evil black guns. Well, the last two of you used shotguns, which there are no killing many shotguns in the world. So that, their, their narrative is gone. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. So. All right, Tony Sanders outdoors will be right back. 423 280 3677.
2: Spring will soon be here, and you know what that means grilling and barbecue. You can get everything you need at Don's Meat Shop, Hicks and Pike. Don has steaks such as T-Bone, porterhouse, Ribeyes, and many, many more. You can pick up kebabs, chicken, burgers, pork chops, roasts, or fish, and try out their seafood. Be sure to try their summer sausage snack sticks. Don has quality meats and great cooking advice, so give them a call at 423-842-1256. Don's is open six days a week, closed Tuesdays. Check them out at donsmeatshop.com, and be sure to like them on Facebook.
0: 12 years well they've been serving our community for 12 years thank you sportsman's warehouse 12 whole years sweet that's how i keep up with how long i've been doing the show because i started the show they came on as advertisers right after they started so um, they've been i mean they've been they've been with me since for 12 years that's pretty cool think about that that's a long time it is. That's why people go in and ask for me, because they think I work there. So. <laughs> and
2: that's why you have your own brand of tick stuff. Yeah.
0: Tony's Yellow
2: Tick Stuff. Yeah,
0: exactly. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, several years ago, uh, 2010. 2010, right. Because um, that's when I was named Conservation Communicator of the Year. Mm-hmm. That's how I remember that. Uh, 2010, we passed the constitutional right to hunt and fish in Tennessee. Now, it was done because there was a lot of people who are anti-hunting and fishing uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, and it's it's it, to me it's just very silly at times. Uh, but anyway, it is what it is, and so we felt the need and we got it passed through the legislature. Is that necessary? Do we need? I mean, who is that protecting us from? Legislators, or because there was already anti-harassment policies right, right. in effect? Sure. So if if I'm out fishing and you come up, and and it is typically more hunting than fishing, but it could be fishing, Uh, and you come up and start harassing me, I could have you arrested or charged or cited or something like that, and we could adjudicate it through the system. So was this more to protect uh, me as a hunter and fisherman from future legislators? As much as anything else
3: well it's kind of interesting um, at the time you'll recall uh, since you were involved with it uh, one of the criticisms of the uh, of the amendment at the time was that it was a solution in search of a problem right uh, that maybe there wasn't a problem that justified having constitutional text um, constitutional preservation uh, in it what's fascinating to me about the amendment itself is that while granting and recognizing a uh, right to hunt and fish. In the text itself, it says that that right, nevertheless, is subject to reasonable regulation. Mm-hmm. So, which I get to do as a wildlife commissioner. Sure, that's right. So, I think what what it really does, if anything, what it really does is that it is an express statement that the right is subject to only reasonable regulation. Reasonable regulation would not include prohibition, for example. Uh, So if the – and we've got, especially here locally with our legislative delegation, very responsible, wise, uh, conscientious men and women. But if for whatever reason the legislature went to a way where we were moving toward a prohibition, this would stand in the way of it. If for whatever reason the commission itself, um, you know, acting under authority delegated by the legislature, uh, had arbitrary rules in place, Um, you know, rules not based upon uh, uh, sound – a reasoning or sound public policy i think this uh, amendment would would stand in the way of that so i think really what what you end up having is that um the amendment itself probably isn't there to solve any current problem it is also true though that if you wait until the moment of crisis uh in which to declare the right you've probably waited too long right you've probably waited too long now what's fascinating to me is that uh I wonder if you could make the argument, I've heard some make the argument, that the Wildlife Amendment grants a separate basis for uh, having the right to to possess a weapon. So, for example, uh, because I have a constitutional right to hunt, uh, that I also have now a constitutional right to to possess or bear a particular type of weapon uh, in hunting. And that's kind of interesting. Uh, of course, the uh, we've talked off the air. Uh, the legislature has the, um, the power itself um, under Article One, Section 26 of our state constitution to regulate the wearing of firearms with a view toward preventing crime. So you may have uh, a conflict with both of those policies, uh, both of those constitutional provisions. Um, I don't think that's what the uh, drafters of the wildlife amendment ever intended. I don't think there's any evidence they intended to... Uh, uh, to broaden the firearms right, for example. But the argument's kind of there in the mm-hmm. background. It's kind of there in the background. It'd be interesting to see um, uh, a more educated discussion perhaps have, on that topic.
0: I have filed that away in case there's ever a sure. an attempt to prohibit firearms. You could make the argument, Women well, I have constitutional right to hunt fish. I have constitutional right to keep my AR. That's right. Which is can easily fire a, a hunting round. Mm-hmm.
2: I was just doing a little research. 21 states have constitutional provisions providing the right to hunt fish. So we are one of them.
0: I do find it interesting you said it was kind of a solution in search of a problem, though. Right. Because while I was very much involved in it, I did not really know what the the main driver that right. started all sure. this. Because I got into it a little bit after it got started, so I didn't go back and, and deal with it. Because, uh, again, we already have anti-harassment, uh, and, and we've seen that used. Right. If, uh, if you're harassing a hunter who's legally in pursuit of of game. As uh, a matter of fact, there was a case. I say it was a case. I don't know exactly how it adjudicated. So maybe it, may it hasn't adjudicated, but a person was legally duck hunting within state regulations. So they were more than 100 yards from a home and, and this and that. Uh, and the one of the homeowners fired a BB gun at the hunters. Right. Uh, obviously not in fear for life at this point. It could be in fear of bodily harm. There's no doubt or whatever. But that person was actually cited for harassing a legal hunter, uh, and that was just la- this last right, instance. sure, right. So here, so it it, it does happen, and uh, and so um, so I don't.
3: I think if, uh, as we as we had talked about, though, if the right is worth protecting, and this one probably is, I mean, uh, some of the criticisms that you heard at the time were, you know, what other rights do we protect? Do we, you know, uh, reserve the right to go shopping at a shopping mall, uh, for example, to use an absurd uh, example? If the right is worth protecting, nothing wrong with protecting it now rather than waiting until the right is in danger. And, uh, for example, you could have said the same thing about several of the provisions of the Bill of Rights. So at the time the Bill of Rights was adopted, it was firmly established that you have the right to a jury trial, for example. Uncontroversial. But the right is there to ensure that that right is always recognized, that that right will continue in perpetuity. And, you know, to that extent, uh, even um, even if the wildlife amendment itself adds nothing more to our equation than was otherwise already properly assumed to be there, now we have it in the text, and right. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's established.
0: I, I don't see that one being um, tested in the court system anytime soon, actually.
3: Uh, no, no. We'll be right back. The first time we did it, I was scared to death. She snuck out in that cotton dress.
0: Are you a member Jumped of the National Rifle in. Association? If not, why? No other organization in this country fights for your rights like the NRA. In the current environment, our rights under the Second Amendment are being attacked every day. While we in the South may feel comfortable, that is not the case all across America. The NRA is taking up the fight for you, and you need to be a part. Join the over 5 million men, women, and children who are members of the NRA. Go to TonySandersOutdoors.com and click on the Join NRA link. Don't wait too late.
2: Bates Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee are the experts when it comes to lush green lawn. If you're a homeowner, Bates has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed specifically for this area and provide you with the knowledge to have the lawn that will be the envy of all your neighbors. Don't go buy a bag of something that may or may not work from a big box store. Bates has years of local knowledge and knows what will work in this area. Trust the local experts in fertilizer to assist you with your lawn. Make your neighbors really jealous. Call Bates. If you're a lawn care company owner or are on a landscaping group, Bates can formulate special blends for your customers by the palette. Your customers will be happy with the great results, and so will you. Call Bates for more information on bulk fertilizer for your lawn care company. Minimum quantities required. So whether you're a homeowner, lawn care company, or just like digging around in the yard, go with the pros at Bates Fertilizer. Four seven two fifty four ninety one, four seven two fifty four ninety one, and check them out at 80sfertilizer.com. If you need any
0: outdoor supplies, there's only one place to go, Sportsman's Warehouse. They have all the equipment you need as well as a friendly, knowledgeable staff to assist you. If you want a firearm, then check out the thousands of guns they have on the shelf. If you don't see one you want, go to sportsmanswarehouse.com, choose from over 6,700 models they have, and they will ship it directly to the store. Everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Sportsman's Warehouse, the great indoors for those who love the great outdoors. I weigh 153 and Lee Highway. welcome back final five or six minutes of Tony Centers Outdoors Tom it has been fun Tom Greenholtz has been in here educating us or, or we've been quizzing him I'm not no, sure.
3: no no education here
2: not not among this crowd we've been playing stump the judge all morning <laughs>
0: We haven't done a good job, no, we have not prepared well
3: well, it has been great to be on the show i uh as as we've talked about off the air a little bit I hope that um uh, I haven't caused your ratings to drop precipitously uh <laughs> over the over the past two hours but I've certainly enjoyed it and uh it's always great to have some time down here to spend with you guys um and if uh if your listeners will have me back or if you all will have me back at some time in the future it'd be my uh, oh absolutely my definite pleasure to be back
0: absolutely this i I find it very fascinating and uh, and and we have, I mean, it does get tied to what we do and, and how we do it and things like that. Because while I don't do politics, I mean, I, I was head of the Republican Party for four years right. and really didn't get into politics on the show. Uh, and and part of it was, and I've always said that this is the two hours of a week that I don't have to deal with all that crap. Sure. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is, especially when you get into handgun issues and, and those laws and hunting and things like that, those things affect us. And I think it is very naive for people to not think that politics affects their lives, because it does. Right. And uh and so I I just think it's I think it's good to, to kind of talk through these things sometimes. I really do.
3: Well it is, and, and once again to understand and be reminded that uh, you know, the sources of our liberties um are there. They should be considered. Um you know, government does not grant liberty to us. Right. Liberty uh, existed before the government. And so what we're really trying to talk about here is what is proper regulation within those spheres that uh, that recognize our rights, our pre-existing rights. And uh, I don't know, i a firm believer that uh, constitutional discussions should take place more often. And if it does, I think we're all better off. And uh, once again, I just thank you all very much for, for having me as a guest down on your show today.
0: Have you seen um, in the last... Let's just say your professional life sure. last twenty years. Yes, have you seen as many, um, I guess, assaults on constitutional rights as there are right now? Uh, I mean, it, is is it, or is this just we're just more aware of it because of the media?
3: I think they're always there, Tony. Uh, I think they're always there. It does seem to be more widespread in terms of our knowledge of specific instances. But uh, at various times throughout our history, uh, you'll see assaults on rights. You'll see assaults on the First Amendment, for example. Uh, you know, it's not unique to have assaults on the press or the assaults on uh, uh, people who speak out. Um, constantly our, um, our civil liberties are under attack, sometimes for good reason, sometimes for good reason, uh, because maybe, uh, maybe a policy just goes too far, maybe it doesn't go far enough. What's important is that we have the discussion and the dialogue. And that's what uh, what I'm concerned a little bit about today is that sometimes we're talking past each other and not talking with each other, and uh, with an eye toward persuasion, if that's possible, with an eye toward uh, understanding, if that's possible. Um, and that's not uh, not always the case. We, we have a lot of productive dialogue that is occurring uh, here today, particularly locally. Um, and, you know, these avenues uh, help foster that dialogue and debate, and that's a, uh, that's I think that's always helpful well
0: and I I think that's the key is is at least on the national level debate and discussion doesn't seem to be happening Um, you know I may not agree with you on everything but if when I lose the ability to have a conversation with you about our disagreements and when we lose the ability to to agree to disagree and, and go our separate ways then we got a problem and I think that's where we seem dangerously close right now.
3: Yeah, and I, I would hope not. Uh, it, it seems as though you, we could be, but I hope not. Uh, something that that I've always thought is that if you don't understand what the opponent's argument is, you truly don't understand your own. So I can have a view, let's say, on the Second Amendment, um, believing the Second Amendment provides for an individual right, but if I don't understand what the other side is saying, right. I'm not really truly understanding my argument. And in fact, uh, if I do understand the other side of the argument, and yet nevertheless still believe what I do, I think my view is strengthened and it's reinforced. And I think we're, we're losing. I don't know if we're losing. Sometimes it seems that uh, others aren't trying to understand the other side of the argument to better inform their own. Jeff Greenholtz, thank you so much. Oh.
2: It's been an honor, Your Honor. Ah,
3: oh, right. uh, Rob, Tony, thank He's you been all so much. All day for
0: that. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much no. for coming in. Tony, thank you much. Thank you, Rob. Tony Sanders Outdoors. We will be back next week. You've been listening to the podcast of the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoors show. Please subscribe to our service to get updated shows weekly throughout the year. Like us on all the social medias to keep up with what's going on on Tony Sanders Outdoors.